I'm Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. I have to say, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on to Death by Design podcast. I read your first book, which was amazing. And it's How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide to Happiness in This World and Beyond. And I'm just so grateful that you're a fellow New Yorker. I think you live right in, in near Brooklyn, where I used to live. I live in Brooklyn. I live in Flatbush, beautiful Flatbush, Brooklyn, New York City. You bet. I tell you, the last time I was in Brooklyn, it has grown yeah, it was always big, but it fills in in different ways, you know, the different parts of the city undergo renovation at times and become more and more popular. And there's more and more people on all the all the train lines. I know that for sure. <laughs> True. So you have an interesting background. You have a television background. You're an Emmy nominated art director. What brought you to such a hard and serious topic such as death and dying? Well, you know, I ended up being either lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it, in that I had three near-death experiences over the course of about 15 years. And uh, they interrupted my my illustration and, and television animation design career, uh, but not so much as to prevent me from from, you know, paying my bills that way for many, many years. It wasn't until fairly recently, though, just five or six years ago, that that um, I had had this kind of transformation, kind of an ego death, you might call it, that apparently was necessary for these near-death experiences to kind of coalesce, kind of return to me. And then I had uh, a meditation practice where I really kind of experienced some of the sensations that I had in what you might call the afterlife, whatever that is. I don't claim to know exactly you know, what it is. I do believe that we're alive before we're born and alive after we die, naturally. But just kind of sitting in stillness, I had these, this sensation of transcendent uh, um, connectedness that really brought me back to the near-death experiences I'd had. I, I hadn't really been able to talk to people about them. They, I didn't know there was a community, a supportive community at all then. And that's what led to my writing the uh, writing the books. The first book, mostly about death and issues of dying, and the second book about how to get to heaven without really dying. If that's the important part, right? And your new the the second book just came out uh, this year, correct? Yes, yeah, just in March. Oh wow! So. Th- Wow, so you're you're busy as well. Uh, yeah, going around and touring with the these books. Um, tell me, can you go into some detail about these three experiences? I know, I mean, the book really does, and I really encourage everyone to get the book um, and check out the new book as well. But tell 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 us a little bit about what you went through in these um, three experiences, or maybe you just want to pick one to talk about. Um, No, that's okay. I'll talk about all three because uh, the, you know, the new book really goes into kind of what the differences in them all mean. Uh, You know, I've, since I wrote the first book where I talk about the three experiences and what it, what it meant in my sense of death and dying, how it impacted that. uh, I've met lots and lots of people. I've spoken at conferences. I've heard lots of these stories and stuff. 
And a lot of people will have one that really changes their life completely. I had three, and they were all entirely different. And so this sense of them being very custom-made or very based on our the karmic construction of our life is what uh, has fascinated me about looking back at my three. They were all um, traditional or, or uh, typical motifs. Um, the first one was a car accident that was an out-of-body experience where I was, in a, I was in a single car accident. To tell you how long ago it was, I was fussing with my cassette deck. <laughs> I had a malfunctioning cassette deck, and I reached over and popped the tape out, and when I did, I was on an unfamiliar street, and there was a car oddly parked, and I glanced off it and went right into a telephone pole going about 35 or 40 miles an hour and broke out the windshield with my head. Oh, my gosh. And um, the very next instant... Uh, whether I wanted to or not, I found myself essentially at the top of the telephone pole looking down at the scene. And I could look over into people's yards and see lights going on and hear people talking and saying, call an ambulance. I witnessed the ambulance arrive and people gathered around and then take me out of my car and put me in the uh, ambulance. And then I was kind of um, shepherded off in a way I try not to elaborate a great deal on the, the sort of details of some of these memories because I know that our memories are kind of unreliable and that we tend to sometimes uh, enhance things with time over time. Sure, sure. But I can tell you that my sense of it is that I went to a, a kind of a classically heavenly place or at least a very beautiful pastoral kind of a place where I felt very comfortable and at ease and this this typical feeling of being enfolded in love and this as kind of part of a seamless matrix of loving intelligence, so to speak. And I had this uh, uh, personage. I can't remember an actual person, an actual being, and I don't remember being an actual being. I was sort of seeing it through my eyes, but it was a completely different kind of experience than this, you know, the typical mortal consciousness we're talking about. And I kind of underwent a sort of interview, you know, that's not unlike this right now, I think, where certain things were hashed out, and uh, about 24 hours later, I came to in a hospital room, and that was the, the first one, the out-of-body experience, uh, that, you know, makes it a little hard to get your genie back in the bottle after that. <laughs> it changes I mean, your well, perspective on life. I bet it does. I bet it does. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh, what did it feel like to be looking at something from up above? I mean, do you recall any feelings that you had? Like, am, this is weird. What am I doing? I mean, nothing? Or were you just at peace? Well, I was actually, that's it. I was just at peace in a way. And so uh, I did not, I remember not really reacting to it as a personality, hmm. so to speak. I, like, I wasn't me. I wasn't, you know, Robert who lives in Flatbush. I was an authentic, energetic being, apparently. I, I was, it wasn't that I wasn't amazed. I was rather amazed by the entire thing. But it's funny when I think about it, not kind of not overly so, <laughs> you know, it was, it felt right. It felt like where I was, where I was supposed to be, and I, I didn't have a great attachment uh, to my body. 
I didn't feel like I really wanted to get back there and be that. It didn't look all that good at the moment, actually, you know, but uh, so it was uh, really the sense, and this is what I call heaven in the second book, really, is this sense of, uh, of pure love and kind of this radiant illumination and transcendent unity and usually some kind of karmic instruction that goes along with these experiences that I consider to be the consistent thing that we call or think of as being heaven, you know. But I did continue in consciousness. I was just a much more expansive kind of consciousness where I didn't really have all the, you know, the the incessant serial thoughts that I have. I felt very open, expansive, liberated. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And so Crazy, you, you have it? two, two, you have two additional ones as well. Yeah. Some years later, I had uh, I had, uh, had a number of twists and turns in my life and wasn't doing all that great. I was, in fact, living a riotous downtown Manhattan lifestyle, up all night and running around doing all the wrong kinds of things, usually simultaneously. And it, it led to what you might call a, a like a toxic reaction, probably a drug overdose. This is the only, uh, this is the, the one of the three that had nothing to do with, with uh, going to the hospital or having any kind of actual medical care. Um, I fell out on the floor of my apartment, you might say, and just went numb from the neck down. And I completely lost feeling in my body and just felt the life just flowing out of me, kind of. And simultaneously, what appeared to be a brilliant white cloud filled in the room around me. And I kind of released from my physical experience and was, once again, the same sense of being completely liberated, kind of an authentic being, kind of adrift in this cloud, so to speak. And I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone in the first one, too. I didn't actually know who was there, but there was a voice within me that was talking to me and reassuring me. And uh, this voice in the second experience told me to look over here, <laughs> directed me to look in a direction, and there opened up a kind of screen. It's almost like a celestial movie theater. Oh, wow. This sort of thing. And it played these... Um, these uh, kind of interactive box of time movies of my life that were really like being there again, not the greatest hits, generally kind of difficult, pivotal moments that I may have suppressed or even completely forgotten. I don't really remember exactly what they are. I have bits and pieces of, of a couple of them now in my memory, but again, I don't, you know, I don't try to create things out of whole cloth. Uh, but they were those kinds of uh, moments where I had not been present in a way that uh, the lesson to me was of presence, of not realizing that something very important can be happening in every moment and that we're always occupying this kind of eternal moment of time in our life. You know, it never changes that much. I'm always right here, right now doing this. Mm. And this is when I can have this kind of effect on my karma when I can create or, or be present for somebody in a way that I should be to fulfill my kind of uh, uh, calling in life, so to speak. And so I called that the gift of presence, the first one being the gift of perspective and the second one being the gift of presence. 
So that was a, what they call a life review. Near death wow. experience is what that's usually called, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess. I mean, I've never Crazy. done. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and you, you know, like you Hindus and... will Hindus will have these, and they will sit with Chitra Gupta, who is the record keeper, who shows them the the Akashic book of their life. Oh wow! And that's their specific memory. So these are their near death experiences are like culturally exclusive. You know, they're very custom made to the karma, to the experience of the person who's experiencing them. Well, I, I mean, it's weird to think that I was just, for a split second, I was like, man, I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, well, you're, but, you're doing it right now. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So what about the last one? Uh, the last one is my least favorite, if one if one must have such uh, choices to make. <laughs> and I always so tell this people, is not the top of the top of three. It's uh, no, the bottom of the three. No, and and I, you know, I often tell people take my advice. Don't you know? Don't follow my example because near death experience is really not the way I recommend meditation to come to a lot of the same places or, you know, having a presence in your life where you're, you're fully engaged with conscious awareness, right? You know, you talk about death and dying a lot and anybody who's been there in the room when a baby is born or when a person passes on, we experience this sort of divine sacred bubble, right? It's like a whole different energy. It's extra dimensional in nature. And all of life can really have that quality if we have a presence for it. But um, anyways, the third one, I got uh, I got severely beaten by a bunch of skinheads in a small Arizona town. And uh, sometimes I hate to even go over it again. <laughs> wow, I can only imagine. Uh, but they, I was assaulted by a guy, and I kind of defended myself rather successfully. And people around me all congratulated me for it and stuff. And I. And I left the scene fairly quickly and didn't realize that the whole altercation had been witnessed by a large group of skinheads, like the guy who had assaulted me. And they drove up behind me and hit me in the back of the head with a tire iron or a crowbar. Oh, my God. Something like that. And then got out and stomped and kicked me for the better part of an hour, the worst part of an hour. And, uh, were you con conscious at all? Were you going in and out of consciousness? Or? No, I was pretty unconscious. Although in that one, I did have more of a sense of the physicality of it. I felt, I felt like I was not in quite as celestial a place as I had been in the other two. It was much more of a kind of terrestrial or even almost subterranean or womb-like kind of a feeling to it. You know, this was probably the most dreamlike. The other ones were not really dreamlike. They were like being somewhere else. This was this is more like a dream for me, hmm. but I felt like something was going on in the other room that I didn't want to be a part of. You know, like <laughs> right out there, it's ugly, and I did not want to leave uh, that place. It, I still had that sense of pure love and that kind of you know sensation of limitless transcendent unity, so to speak, that I associate with being in heaven, regardless of you know what it looked like uh, there. But um, there were entities around me. Again, I don't remember them being exactly like people standing around. And, you know, some near-death people talk about people wearing glowing pantsuits and stuff like that. 
I didn't have that. These, they just felt like entities, like loving entities around me. And they told me um, that I hadn't done what I was supposed to do, that I wasn't finished, and that I had gone about things kind of the wrong way, and I had to go back. And I felt as though I were picked up and pushed back through and back out into this life. And I opened my eyes, laying on my back on a street in Arizona with an emergency medical worker over me who said, he's back. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was really beat up, really mangled, and it took quite a while and a couple of surgeries to recover from (gasps) that. But um, I had this sense uh, from then on, I was, the other two didn't really totally change my life because I'm fairly hard-headed, I guess. (laughs) But this one kind of sent me into uh, this process of transformation where my life really changed. I ultimately had this kind of ego death where it didn't matter who I was or what I was supposed to be anymore. And I, I started studying these things and you know, making myself of more service to people and reading lots of scripture and doing lots of meditating and stuff. And um, it was the lesson of purpose that I think we all have, uh, not necessarily to be a movie star, but to, uh, to show up for your life with a sense of your kind of construction of it, karmically where, how you engage in life and who needs you to be what to them? You know, it usually has to do with love, with removing the obstacles uh, from love in your life and from showing up with love in a meaningful and present way. Oh, wow. That's, oh, uh, geez. And, and that, wow. Um, gosh, I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that just to arrive, but it, I think that's the point, you know, when you, when you, you have to be rebirthed to awareness because we're so conditioned to disconnect and be unaware and, and numb out, um, and, in this life and that, and, and I feel that that's highly encouraged, um, in the world we live in. Um, but tell me, you know, how did experiencing these near death happenings, uh, enhance your life? Did it, it you, I mean, you're talking a little bit about how it, brought you to an ego death and a little bit more, you know, awake. I mean, did the, these things bring you to an awakening or a spiritual awakening? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I never want to call myself, you know, enlightened because I'm not sure about that particular handle. But um, they did lead me, and particularly the last one led me to this kind of transformative experience. And it also had to do with something that you write about in in um, bridging the gap too in your book about 9/11 because I was present at 9/11 I was in downtown Manhattan when it happened and <clears throat> I'd been going through this stuff in my life where I had this kind of slow death happening you know was, my life was kind of deconstructing in a way and 9/11 happened and I had this palpable sense of liberated spirits kind of rushing around me in those couple of days. And not long after that, I found my way to the upper Delaware River and got a little cottage right on the river and sat on a rock by the river for six or seven years before I started writing. That's 
really what happened. It sounds crazy, but it's true. And in meditation, the, the lessons of these experiences kind of crystallized within me. And I could see from that first out-of-body experience a new way of looking at life where I have a, a kind of a compassionate, neutral detachment of sorts. I can see that people are this divine consciousness channeling through them, through the filter of their experience and their being and their, their karma. And I'm able to uh, associate uh, or disassociate myself from a lot of the a lot of the labels and, and com- comparisons and judgments and things that, you know, that are the, the trashy, difficult part of life. So I look at life with that kind of perspective, and that's what I talk about in the new book. That's the first section of the new book is, is how to attain this kind of perspective on life that's very liberating. So that was partly the major awakening. The the idea of the presence that I learned and the, the second one by being again in occupying those kinds of boxes of time that our lives take place in, you know, like you and I right at this moment are able to work within this box of time that we have that we're creating, hopefully to reach people with some of these messages and get some identification and maybe some inspiration to some people. And so that presence and that conscious awareness that we need to bring to the moment to recognize that, you know, the miraculous may be occurring right now without me noticing it. (laughs) You know, I got to pay attention uh, to things and to be present for one another, to really be present for one another and our kind of responsibility, our stewardship of life and the planet and the like. Um, That likewise has has been an awakening uh, too. And and then, you know, having somebody tell you, you got to go back and do it right because you haven't done what you're supposed to do yet made me realize that each of us have this kind of, you know, specially designed way that we fit into this picture. It all describes this kind of profound spiritual technology that we're a part of under the surface of what we see. And if you just think in your life, what do people want me to do? You know, what do people ask me to do? Who needs me to show up for them and why? How have I got myself in this position in life where I need to be this person? And your purpose is hiding in plain sight there. And it is just as important, if not more important, than being a movie star or some kind of grand plan that you might think your life has in store for you. It may be something just as mundane as you know, showing up for uh, your parents in their later years, or you know, um, engaging in your community in a way that makes a difference to people. Um, so, purpose—that gift of purpose—between the three of those experiences, I would, I think that there's a recipe in there for an awakening for anybody, and an engagement in life that brings a, a, a better and enhanced quality to all of living. Mm. Well, you do talk about three keys to living more life. I mean, talk to us a little bit about those three keys to living more um, that you've discovered. From the in the first book, you mean the uh, the three tips? Yeah, that those are radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender. 
are what I call those. Those are my tips for happiness, actually. <laughs> and, you know, radical kindness is is uh, is something that everybody has experienced, hopefully, at some point. I like to present it as a challenge to people so that you can see how powerful it is. Spend a day or two just being as sincerely kind to everybody that you meet as you can be. And watch what happens. And, and I don't mean sharing gossip or being sarcastic, because that's not really kindness. I mean being open-heartedly, genuinely kind with people. And you will discover that there is this kind of hidden fabric running through the world of all these apparently really nice people out there that had known about this all along, whether you did or not. And all by just by opening your heart and participating in that, you open up this whole new experience that is incredibly life-enhancing. You know, you walk into a place and you see what the what the Sufis used to call, or the poet Rumi, uh, who's one of my favorites and I feature in the new book, um, would call the friend. You know, you walk into a place, you can feel the energy in the room, you look around, and there's somebody who's kind of caught your eye, and they're going, uh-huh, there you are, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> And uh, then if you're just open-heartedly kind to everybody, uh, you can change the actual energy of the entire room. It's a, a phenomenal power that is overlooked an awful lot, but it's really a great way to live. I totally agree. It, I I feel energy toward other people. And it's really interesting how many people are just so... So, I mean, I say this because I was there. I was lost. I was on this conveyor belt. And and I believe I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. And and to do something insane, like leave a six-figure salary and g- create a podcast and a book that, you know, if you want to make money, don't do those two things. But, I mean, I just feel like there's certain... There's certain things that are that are falling into place because I'm on the right finally on the right path. And the energy I feel with people and the engagement, I I, I just feel like for the first time in my life I'm fully living uh, an awakened life. But that's a struggle every day, don't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. You really have to stick with it. Um and, and what you're describing is a different definition of success, you know. Uh, one of my heroes was Joseph Campbell, who used to say that we're we're here to experience the metaphysical impulse to transcend the delusion of separateness. Mm, I love that. <laughs> Isn't it great? Yeah. yeah. Be- because as you move through life, you know, if you've got any of this kind of realization going on, and hopefully not my way, but just in the course of living a normal life, you move from ambition into meaning right? You, your life starts to transition, I think, if you're on a, an awakening path at all, and you begin to discover this different definition of success that has nothing to do, in fact, it's, it's enhanced by letting go of all the material connections that you have that feel so important to you. Who you are, what you have, what you're supposed to be, you know, what you think you're supposed to be, all of those kind of egoic connections and material demands are the things that 
wrap you up in this definition of success that is never going to be satisfied. You're never going to achieve it. There is a definition of success so that it can be achieved by the the, uh, the third tip for happiness, which I call radical surrender. All right, I I'd skipped over radical forgiveness, but I think everybody who probably understands that, you know, if you've ever needed to forgive somebody or ever needed to be forgiven, then you know what the power of forgiveness is. You don't need to carry around somebody else's pain and have it define your life. So that's radical forgiveness. Radical surrender is just the idea that um, wildflowers grow through the cracks in the pavement. You know, there's a power that is flowing through this world and through our lives that is guiding us, that we are flowing in. And that is describing to us a different definition of success. You don't need you don't need a a, a motorcycle or a helicopter or Dolce Gabbana. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, God bless them all. Right? Yeah, exactly. But it's it's I guess seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary. You know, it's it's it, it's different. Um, you know, since I've separated from corporate America and been on this uh, spiritual awakening, I guess, for my own self, it's, it's, I've started seeing miracles every day. And the small pleasures that, that I, I, I've taken for granted, like, you know, I, I talk, I, I just recently heard this, um, someone talking about, you know, being in the shower, you know, most of the time when you're in the shower, you're not really in the shower. Why not just be in the shower? Um, and when you're cooking, why don't you just cook? And and stop stop your mind and enjoy the the pleasure of of creation or cleansing or you know it's it's just it's it's just those simple things that we get caught up in and so distracted that we're on to the next thing we forget and go blind to those small miracles that happen every day. Um, so tell me a little bit about. Your new book, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, we've talked a little bit about it, but I wanted to go a little bit more in depth because you're starting to, um, you know, make speaking engagements and you have a couple of conferences coming up that you're going to be speaking um, concerning this new book. So tell me how the transition from book one to book two, I mean, what what was that like to finish your near-death experiences and talking about them to coming to How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying? Well, the the, the first book, How to Survive Life and Death, was I was really kind of, it was like a calling. I know it sounds corny, but I was sitting on my rock and I was kind of called to write it. And um, the way that it came to me was kind of designed to help people diffuse their fear of death. Because, you know, people ask me all the time now, so are you afraid to die? You know, you've had three near death experiences. Are you afraid to die? It's like, uh, no, not so much, but don't ask me to prove it right now. Because <laughs> I'm a human being who wants to live and that's my instinct. You know, the the quote that is that uh, I open how to survive life and death with is 
is the that Woody Woody Allen yeah, quote, Woody I'm Allen. not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Right. right. And so that's really what that one was about. And it just kind of came out as one expression like that and suggested radical kindness, radical forgiveness, and radical surrender as means to happiness and, you know, to kind of designing a, any life that you're living. Once I met all these people that had had these experiences and started to realize that the difference between my three, which, you know, I don't really know how to describe all this stuff. I don't, I don't know what it really means or how it really happens. To me, it seems to be extra dimensional in nature, definitely. And I believe that we're extra dimensional, energetic beings, essentially. All right. Um, to me, then, it, it, the, the uh, quote that actually uh, sort of defines the second book comes from the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas, where Yeshua says, the kingdom of heaven is spread across the earth, but men don't have eyes to see it. Mm. Now, that might be gender-specific. <laughs> I think it might be. But um, that's kind of the, the thematic quote over it, because no matter what life you're living, you're going to be there for it. And the quality with which you're there and the kind of karma that you're creating for yourself in any moment, the kind of presence like you were talking about, that just taking a shower is, is miraculous. Right. It would be if I took one right now. I'll tell you. <laughs> That's because I've been traveling a lot. So those kinds of... Uh, that kind of experience of life as miraculous all the time. Uh, I think Einstein said there are two ways to look at life. One is though nothing is miraculous, and the other is as though everything is miraculous. Mm. And I'll have people say to me, well, you know, this is a bunch of hooey that you're spouting. We don't believe any of it. None of this is really possible at all. To which I ask them if they've ever considered the fact that we are on a planet in outer space. That's where it begins, right? This is all an extremely miraculous and magical undertaking that we're part of here. I'm only suggesting that there is an intelligent design. I would use that expression. I would say there is a spiritual technology at work here that if we uh, can align ourselves with, we can align ourselves with an experience of heaven in our lives. And so in the, in the first section on perspective, I talk about, again, I talk about kindness and also humility, honesty, forgiveness, compassion, and service. I talk about this sense of, of being able to detach kind of in a lovingly neutral way from life and not to be so hard on everybody and yourself. Um, I talk about being engaged in the moment with a real kind of quality that presence brings us, and also the fact that there are these fabulous texts from time immemorial that describe a path to what I'm talking about, to this kind of heaven that I'm talking about. And I call upon uh, the Dhammapada and the Bhagavad Gita and the Gospel of Thomas and the poetry of Rumi in the book, and call out examples from that that are really descriptive of this path. They're really great instruction for us. And and then um, with a sense of purpose, uh, 
you come into the world and you're able to engage in a in a more productive and uh, more karmically suitable way is that if that makes sense to people it's a really is about experiencing love and about removing the the obstacles to love in your life and then living life with a kind of spiritual sanity you know where you are are honest with yourself and with everybody else you can look at the nature of the world as it is right now and you can see that there are certain things that are happening as a result of a lack of consciousness of, you know oh wow that's a kind of, that's a great point unconscious wow. attachment to the material stuff yeah you know we know that there's a better way there's a different definition of success available to us in this world that we can really make this heaven again the kingdom of heaven, of heaven is spread out across the earth if we can gain the eyes to see it so to speak. So that's that's what that's the second book is about. I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I so where can people find your books? They're available at all the you know main booksellers and stuff. I always like to encourage people to go to their mom and pop or their corner or neighborhood bookstore because I love those places. But you know all the Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all those guys have it. Um, and I have a website www.robertkopecky.com. It's Quite simple, but we'll lead you to all of that. And and um, a blog, too, called Art, Faith, and the Cocoa Lion, where I write uh, spiritual stuff and, you know, post announcements of uh, where I'm speaking and junk like that. I've got some of that stuff coming up. So tell me a little... Yeah, so tell yeah, tell me a little bit about what's coming up. I know that you're going to be down in Florida with uh the uh, a conference down there. Where do you have a few speaking engagements this fall that you would like to tell us about? Um yeah, actually I have one coming up depending on when this airs, but at the end of August I'll be in Seattle for the International Association for Near Death Studies, their giant conference that they have every year called Explore the Extraordinary. I'll be there August 30th. Uh, speaking. And then I will be at the Afterlife Awareness Conference. That'll be in Orlando, Florida in November, in early November. I'm going to be speaking to a group of of uh, IONS, of near-death experience people in Syracuse uh, on the 14th and 15th of September. And uh, I'm I'm exhausted just talking about it already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's great though. It it's is. great it's that this yeah. this conversation is is so wanted now, you know. It's uh are you planning on writing another book? I am. Yes, yeah. I have a couple of uh, things in in mind. It's a little hard to uh to dovetail that into, you know, the Descending my child out into the world experience, as you know, uh, writing a book, writing a book is uh, of how to get to heaven without really dying. Um, but yeah, I've I've got um, I've got some pretty good ideas, I think. And one is kind of a memoir. I think maybe I'll save that until a little later and write another book about spirituality. You know, that's it's interesting to be unabashedly spiritual because I, I you know, I never was. And I'm, you know, a pretty secular kind of a guy, but I have a tremendous amount of faith in this underlying reality that we're all really able to tap into if we allow it for ourselves. Sure. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. I I really highly encourage anyone to go out and and get these two works of art. Of course, the the first book is um, How to Survive Life and Death: A Guide to Happiness in This World and Beyond. And the second book, new book, just came out this March: How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying: Wisdom from a Near Death Survivor. And again, Robert, can you give us your personal website one more time? Yeah, it's www.robertkopecky.com, K-O-P-E-C-K-Y. And then robertkopecky.blogspot.com is my blog. And I have a you know Facebook author page, and I'm on Twitter and all of that stuff. So join me. I'd love to hear from people. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy travel schedule. As uh, But I, I have to say, I really appreciate what you're bringing to this death positive movement, expanding the mind and and this whole spiritual aspect coming from your experience, um, near death experience. So I'm really I'm really grateful. Yeah, we sh- we show up for death. We show up for it. You know, it's it's necessary. It regrounds us. It reattaches us to who we really are. That's why we have to go through it. That's a great kind of. Uh, saying. I'd have to write that down. That was like an aha moment, as Oprah says. Now, you know I'm going to be in New York soon, and but you're traveling, I believe. We're in Reimagine New York City is happening, correct? I, I'm not sure what the dates are of that, but I think so. It's, uh, October 27th through November 3rd? Yeah, November 3rd, I'm going to be in Orlando for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. Gotcha. Well, hopefully one of these days we'll come face-to-face and and meet. Um, I look forward to that and and dinner with you and and chatting more about your experiences and and how how your speaking engagements are going. And especially as I travel through uh, New York City on this tour, I hope our paths do cross. But I do appreciate what you're what you're doing to contribute to this ongoing conversation. And um, I just appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and, and talk a little bit about your experiences and your two your two books. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kimberly. It's been a great honor and a wonderful experience. It's one of my great synchronicities in life to meet you. And I hope we do get to have dinner together sometime. <laughs> Me, great. Too. Me too. Me <laughs> too. Well, thank you and have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.